Welcome once again to On Mic with Jordan Rich. You know, I love sitting down and chatting with creative people, and that's what we do here in this podcast every week. Today, I've got a dynamic, energetic, and hilarious stand-up comic with me who decided to pick up stakes from the West Coast, and he headed right back east to his homeland. His name is Justin McKinney. And by the way, Justin is spelled J-U-S-T-O-N. Don't worry, there's a story behind that. He hails from the mysterious land bordering New Hampshire and Maine. And in his younger years, Justin served as a deputy sheriff up there in Maine and has some interesting stories about that. But now he's a very successful stand-up who looks at everyday life through his own hysterical lens. Let's take a listen. And the thing about living on the, on the border of, of New Hampshire and Maine is first of all, I gotta just say this. I mean, New Hampshire, this state's friggin' crazy. It really is. It's the only state in the country without a mandatory seatbelt law. You take that live free or die thing, look too friggin' serious. Right? All the other states, Massachusetts and Maine, they have to put up signs when you go from New Hampshire into them so you know what's illegal. Right? It's like, buckle up here, everybody, right on the main bridge. No excuses. Fireworks are illegal. Right, New Hampshire's got fireworks, no seatbelts, no sales taxes, like Mexico. People could run across the border. Justin's appeared on The Tonight Show several times on Comedy Central, and he has a special you should check out on Amazon Prime. He's working on a new podcast entitled New England Wood, and we'll talk about that as well. We're going to laugh a little bit and have some fun, but before we get to anything else, Justin, what's with the J-U-S-T-O-N? Because that's the first thing people see when they go to your website, Justin McKinney. Did that guy spell his name wrong? Yeah, exactly. And I have to tell you, um, it's been kind of a curse my whole life being in the entertainment business because, as you know, with social media and you want people to follow you on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, people will search it. They hear Justin McKinney, and they search it with an I, and they don't find me. Like, they literally (laughs) do not find me. Um, Uh. My new special on Prime, uh, literally people are like, I can't find it. And they were putting in Justin with an I, and and this billion-dollar company, Amazon, doesn't know that if you put Justin with an I, comedian, how is it not finding it? So I had to go into the the, 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 – the special and make Justin with an I as part of the cast. Oh, so is that how you did it? It's, yeah, so Justin oh McKinney is in it and Justin McKinney is in this. <laughs> that is how people can now find it. But the, the story is, if you want the honest, true story, Sure. my dad uh, thought, he, I asked him one day, I go, Dad, this is a huge pain. I go, I'm constantly having to get it changed on documents. I go to the bank, stuff spelt wrong. I'm on the phone, I'm on hold. I got to get this corrected, that corrected. I go into the doctor's. I'll fill out all the paperwork, and then I'll, at the top, I'll be like, hey, well, you guys printed my name. It's actually with an O. They're like, oh, we got to redo it again. They have to redo <laughs> oh, I mean, it's God. a huge nightmare. And he literally told me, because he goes, because you were born just on time. Get it? Oh. He goes, it's funny. And I literally, I remember looking at him. I go, I go, I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, that's why you did it? And I'm like, first of all, it could have been just in time. Mm. It's the same dumb joke. So he was trying to make a joke about my name, and I came into this world as a, a butchered bad joke, and I ended up being and a comedian. And you ended so up being figure. a comic. It, obviously, the apple falling from the tree thing, right? I mean, is your father naturally funny all the time, or is it just that one time? He tries. He can be funny. <laughs> I mean, he, he my dad definitely can be funny. He was he was a homeless alcoholic for many years, and he's now been sober for uh, 10 years. I actually mm. gave him his 10-year chip oh, that's terrific. last summer at AA, and it was literally, I mean— Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was Cheekers. one of the you know 
favorite moments of my life, you know, really to be up there because we thought he was going to die on the streets. Mm. And I mean, he was living in a pay toilet in a parking garage in Portsmouth, New Hampshire for many years. He was on hard copy, had done a story about him. And I mean, he literally was that guy. I, I was out when I, you know, was first with my wife. I was with her sister and we were in downtown Portsmouth and one in the morning, you know, after the bars had closed, you know, we're going to get some food and there he is sitting on a bench without a shirt on, a scarf, holding a gallon of milk, you know, drunk, you know, he was that guy. Wow. I mean, he was that homeless guy. So a remarkable story. Um, but uh, but he he's funny. And, 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 and you know, um, you know, he'll say to me, you know, people ask how old his kids are. And his his line always is he's like, ah, you know what? It's hard to keep track. It changes every year. You know what I mean? So <laughs> he'll say that kind of stuff. So I well, definitely get a little a little humor from it. And we have a great relationship. He's my biggest fan. I mean, he's so, you know, we're going to be talking about your new podcast that you're launching called New England Wood. Uh, the Justin McKinney podcast. We'll get to that. But let's back up a little bit because your background is really interesting. And the fact that you have the background you do, and let's get right to it. You were in law enforcement. You were a sheriff, uh, deputy sheriff at York County, Maine. And you got stories. We could do 10 podcasts with the stories you have. <laughs> How did you get into law enforcement and why? Well, it's uh, it was, yes, it was rural patrol I did for seven years in York County, Maine. And, you know, I'll tell people that I was destined to become a cop because I grew up around all cops. I was always over the house arresting my dad. I mean, oh, I mean, they literally were over the oh house all the time. I would see, I would watch Chips was my favorite show. And I would watch while I was watching Chips, like the real police would like show up at my house. So mm -hmm. that was the, so to be completely serious about it and not make a joke, um, it was just, uh, you know, the way I grew up was a little dysfunctional and I saw the police as, um, you know, out there and they were going to keep me safe and save the day. And I really respected them and admired, even though my dad hated cops, you know, my whole family didn't like cops. You know, in fact, the first time I came home in my police car, they didn't know it was me. They all went running out the back door. Oh. Like, I mean, that was the, you know. Well, what, what's it, interesting is we're not talking because you're a comic and you're so funny. We're not talking about a Barney <laughs> Fife like deputy sheriff here. You were doing the real work. You you told us prior to coming on here today to do the podcast that, you know, you, you arrested a, a guy who had committed like 80 plus burglaries. You solved a lot of cases. Were you actually in, in the detective ranks? As We actually, the way it worked was, and a lot of people don't know, especially in Massachusetts, people don't understand because in Massachusetts, I don't believe the sheriff's department does any patrol. I think they're just in the courts. In the, in the prisons. In the, in the jails. Yep. Right. They serve papers and that kind of stuff. In Maine, and many states in this country, um, they act as the police department for these smaller towns that don't have their own police department. And in York County, if there's 28 or 29 towns in the whole county, 14 of them didn't have their own police department. So there were two of us for 14 towns. We each had seven towns apiece. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would joke my backup was a day and a half away, you know. I mean, you know, I, and I, I have a joke in my act I used to do where I say, uh, you know, a woman, you know, I'd get a call for a woman. I have to help deliver the baby. By the time I got there, the kid answered the door, you know. <laughs> I mean, it just took a long time. I mean, and all kidding aside, we would get calls of a loud party. You know, by the time you get up there to tell them to be quiet, everyone's gone to bed. The lights are all off. The party's over. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, so there were two of us and we would handle, we had one detective at the time that for the whole department and he would handle some of the most serious of the serious cases. But if I got a burglary, someone's house was broken into or whatever, I would show up with my fingerprint kit hmm. and my camera and I would process the whole scene. I would, you know, footprints and hmm. photographs and all that. And, you know, it was back in the day. Um, you know, when you had the cameras in the 90s, so you had the roll of film. And, you know, 
it wasn't a very well-funded police department back in the 90s. And a lot of my material came from the fact that I um, had to use like my own camera. You know what I mean? They didn't give us a camera. I'd use my own camera, right? So I'd show up. They'd be like, you know, it'd be my brother's graduation party was like the first eight pictures. And the other one's like a dead guy on a porch, like an unattended death. Oh, guy that, oh my so God. it's like, you know what I mean? So I'm thinking that you take it to the, you know, the right aid, you know, to get it developed, you know, the drugstore and the guy's yeah. looking at it going, wow, this party turned ugly. You know what I mean? It went from like a, you know, party to a dead guy on the same roll of film. That's a perfect jumping off point to your humor because I've been now watching a lot of your stuff. And by the way, let, we'll talk about that special and how important a special is the one on prime, but I love the observational stuff and the local angle, which is really a big part of who you are. You're who you are when you're on stage, talking about kids, about parenting, about the stuff about nursery school was just just hilarious. But there's so many things that are so relatable that you bring to your comedy, right? I mean, I try to, you know, they say write what you know, and I don't know any other way to do it, right? It's like things that go on in my life, and I'm constantly – I have my, you know, my ears and my, my just always listening for stuff with them. My wife says it, my kids say it, and I just write it down and I just make it in. I mean, they give me so much material. Life gives you so much material. And I've just always been able to look at stuff and go, oh, that's, you know, that, that could be a joke. And then, you know, and because I'm, uh, you know, living back here in New England, I'm doing a lot of theaters now up in New Hampshire and Maine mostly, and a little bit down in the Massachusetts, um, the same people come back to see me year after year. So I have to have a lot of new material. So I'm, I have to, you know, I, I, I haven't been doing the same act for six years. You know, it's right. literally, I have to write a new show almost every and, year. And I think it's important because I know a lot of comics and many are friends of mine. I think it's important for you to discuss the amount of time and energy and effort it takes to craft enough material for an hour. An hour on stage. Oh, it's an hour. Anybody can do it. Right? No. It is a huge amount of work and mental work to get to that hour and then you're refining it talk, talk about the process if you would it's the process i'm in this is the this is the trade off of wanting to live back here and not wanting to tour eight, you know 80% of the year you know mm-hmm. be a, be on the road be away from my family the decision i made was to try to stay back here be home 90% of the time i hardly get on a plane anymore um, so what that means is having to turn that material over every year. And when you talk about the process, not only is it a new, let's say it's a new 45 or so, and then I mix in the other 15 minutes, I can mix in some older stuff. So let's say even if it's 45 minutes, half of the material, I don't even think it's ready when I'm putting it on. So it, it and so I'm already getting rid of material when I'm, when it's not even ready to go on to new material. And that is the most frustrating part. So the, the special on prime called parentally challenged, that was all material that I had worked for a year or two, maybe up to three years on some of it. And finally I'm like, I got to put that out there and then just get rid of it and then Mm. move on to the new stuff. So the process for me is I try to do an open mic night every week. There's a place in Salisbury mass called the winner's circle. It's been running. I have been on stage. The owners are so supportive of comedy there. I don't know that they're making a ton of money on it, but they do an open mic night. It's free. Anyone can go. It's free for no cover charge. And I go and do a new approximately seven minutes every week. I won't repeat anything. It's the new seven minutes I have from that that's week. And hopefully I get two or three minutes out of it. And if you do that over the year, that's a lot of time. So I am the – they have a board. up. They take a picture of everyone that's ever been in there. If you ever go into this place, you will see – 500 comedians. Their pictures are all on the wall. Some people have only done it once. Some people have done it twice. They have a running tally of how many times you've been there. <laughs> I am the leader 
I have you done are. 290. I think I was there last night at, at 290 um, times I've been there over the last, you know, you know, several years. And so what I'll do is I'll do that on, I'll do that on a Tuesday, two or three minutes. I hope then makes it into my weekend show and wherever I am on the weekend, I am now do, I've done it one time in front of sometimes four people, sometimes eight people, sometimes 20 people, you know, I'm like, all right, this is good enough. This is good enough. And then I move it into the, the weekend show. So by the end of, you know, six, eight, 12 weeks, I've got 10 minutes that I'm grooming and I'm just, you know what I mean? I'm trying to, and that hopefully makes it, but it is a lot of stress and a lot mm. of pressure. And I'm not loving like that. I'm in this situation. This is the, the bed I've made for myself. Right, right. If I want to be able to do the theaters, if, if I just wanted to do clubs and just travel, I wouldn't have to do that. But because people come back to see yeah, me. Yeah. You're, you're limiting the ge geography on purpose. This is a choice you've made, a family choice and all that. And you're making it work. But I, I fascinated with the, the process that you defined. I knew there was a process with you because yeah. there's a lot of material a lot of great energy, but I was interested in that. Now, let me back up to from process to form. Uh, the ability to stand up on a stage, make people laugh, understand how to time your lines and their reaction, I believe is one of the truest, most, most compelling art forms in America, in the world. Stand-up is a very unique art form because it's you against the world. But where does this come from? Were you doing shtick in, in school? Were you the, the kid who always had the, the last line? Or is this born out of just thinking about this and watching other comics? Where does it all come from? Well, I think my, my mind, I could remember at a, at a young age, let's say junior high or so in, into high school, I could remember uh, watching uh, Johnny Carson, The Tonight Show, and I could remember hearing some of the jokes he would do. And I could remember just thinking, oh, I was thinking that. Or oh, that's why I thought. So I thought my from from my mind standpoint, I thought I was able to look at things funny. And growing up like a little dysfunctional as I was, we I found humor was a way that I dealt with stuff. And we looked at stuff and my brothers and I, we would laugh. So it was almost a little bit of a survival mechanism mm -hmm. that I would do back then. But as far as in school, I could remember everyone was always saying, Oh, well, you were the class clown. And I there was I think there was like, you know, the class clown was a lot of times the guy that would like, you know, pull his pants, you know, moon somebody, or it was like, it was the over the top, the teachers would get mad at them, they'd get sent to the office. There was that kind of class <laughs> clown, which I was not at all. Um, but I would, I think I would just occasionally, I could remember saying things that would make the teacher laugh. Yeah. And like every once in a while. And that's when I was kind of like, oh, you know, I really like this, you know, that, that feeling of, it was an attention thing. I mean, look, if I didn't grow up the way I did, I probably wouldn't have been a comedian. And, and I didn't, this hasn't come up, but I, my mom passed away when I was six years old. Oh, wow. So that dealing with my dad, my aunt moved in, who was my mom's sister, ended up with my dad. So there, she brought her two of her kids. So there were six kids, dad, aunt. So it was quite a, quite a growing up situation there that uh, made me just look at the world differently and become who I am. Quite not, not to suggest a stereotype, but there are so many examples of people in humor and comedy who have dealt with a lot. We all deal with things, yes. right? But yes. uh, to, a, to a person, the, the comics I know and consider my friends have had a lot of stuff, let's just put it that way. And that is amazing how it helps propel yeah. The humor. So I, I'm just talking now about what you're doing on stage, and I noticed a lot of things. First of all, I love your material, but I also love the timing, you know, and I always like to watch a comic who's really good at what he does. And and because if you're off, the audience senses it, and it, it can ruin a show if you're not 
focusing on that timing, isn't that true? Yeah, and and you know, I don't know where the timing comes from. It's but people will come up to me after a show and they will comment about my timing and I don't know what I'm doing with the timing. It just mm, I don't know true. how to explain it. It just happens and and there are nights that I'm off. I just did three shows at the Portsmouth Music Hall and the Friday night show, the opening night, I couldn't have been happier with. It was I was so happy with it, but I had a little coffee before the show, right? So I didn't sleep good that night. Friday night, I got about three and a half hours sleep. I got to go back the next day and do the Saturday show. I felt so disconnected on Saturday. And mind you, when I'm doing this year-end show, talk about a, a, it's local stuff too. And I use slides, like 150 slides. Mm. 30 minutes of this, I've never said until that weekend. I don't even know if it's going to work. You know, so it's like, you know, so it's one thing if you do a material, you can flick the switch. So I just was off, didn't feel great. And I had brought my uh, a buddy to videotape me on the Saturday night, not on the Friday night. Friday night, I felt like it was a home run. I If I was taping Friday night, I would think, I got it. Don't even come back. Mm. Now I'm like, you got to come Saturday. I know he's in the audience. I know he's taping. I haven't slept. I'm exhausted. I felt my timing was all off. But the point is... So I had him come back Sunday night, and Sunday night, I loved Sunday night. So, But that middle show, people came out after the middle show as off as I felt, and a couple people mentioned my timing. And as much, and in my head, I have a bad habit of going, oh, I, that was awful. Join the club. But yes. Well, I, I know exactly yes, what you're saying. Yeah, have a show on, on air, let's say, and, and I just feel like I'm on cloud nine. And then three weeks later, oh, man, did I suck today. And, and yeah. people don't see it that no. way. It's in our no. heads. But you know, uh, let's talk about specials. The comedy world, it's changed so much since, well, HBO did it first, but since comics achieve what I think is is the top of the mountain for them, and that is getting that hour special on either Netflix or Prime or wherever. And it used to be albums. I mean, you used to cut a CD or an album. Now that, tell the, tell the audience, if you will, and me, about how the, the Amazon special came about, because that had to be a has to be a high point right now. It was because of where everything has gone. Everyone wants that quick digital, you know, media just right on their device. But to back up a second, you know, the first thing I ever wanted to be able to do was the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. That was my first goal. And I did that in 2002 was the first time I did that. Wow. He had me back in 2004. Um, and then in 2006, I moved back from Los Angeles back here. My wife being from Massachusetts wanted to come back here. Well, within about a year of being back here, I got a half hour special on Comedy Central. And that was my goal at the time was, the, mm -hmm. you know, we get the half hour special. And then in 2010, I got a one hour Comedy Central special. Mm -hmm. So I've had other specials like this prime one isn't my first one, but the other ones were on Comedy Central, a little bit of a different animal. So now being back here, um, the, it, it has changed a lot. I'm, I'm probably too old for the Comedy Central demographic. Netflix was really is really like tough right now. You look at who's getting Netflix yeah. specials. Yeah. I mean, it's Seinfeld. It's it's generous. It's it's huge. It, it's names. people that are huge or like um you know this guy uh, Sebastian Maniscalco. Oh yeah. I don't know if you ever yeah. he just but he's selling out Madison Square Garden like multiple nights. I mean right. that guy's blowing up huge. Which by the way, when I did my half hour Comedy Central special, he was on the show with me. Oh, he wow. went first. And we had the same audience. I had to go after him. And I oh. remember seeing him back then going, that guy's got something. It's just his character, his yeah. energy and everything. I knew that guy was going to be successful. Let me jump in for just one second regarding Sebastian. I think he's terrific. He's got a real New York sensibility. You've got this New England sensibility. It's easier probably to 
for the world to see New York, right? It's easier for the world, and he's got the Italian thing. And he's got the Italian. The Italian thing, thing is huge, <laughs> and and uh, you know, it's funny. You know, as a comedian, you watch him and go, "I could write an hour for that guy in a week." You know, looking at that character. You know, yeah. I don't have yeah. that. Yeah. You know, I'm the Irish guy. You know, McKinney. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's uh it's crazy. It's but um he's he it, it is weird though to look back. I mean, don't think that you know I don't I'm not aware that wow this is a guy that was doing a half hour with me in 2007. Here we are, 11 years later. This guy's blowing up, and I'm you know still doing my thing. Well, but- I I would think there are comics out there saying, hey. Justin McKinney was on a show that I did, and look at him now. So t- yeah, but, but, everything's but, relative. You're right. The the Amazon Prime special, which I urge everyone to see, uh, is is the latest big special, right? Yes, it's okay. called Parentally Challenge, all about parenting. So what I did was I just I had done a special on Showtime with Rob Gronkowski last year, right? And Patriots that player. It, yes, and that made me want to. Um, then shoot. All right. I want to shoot a special. So I produced that special myself and submitted it to a prime video. That's how that gets on. Again, and, it, it, it talks about uh, uh, stick to and enthusiasm and never saying I'm going to give up here. And you've proven it all time and time again. So let's revert back to we're going to talk about your new podcast, New England Wood. We'll talk about that. But the decision to come back in 2006 you did it because you're married to a lovely lady and you got a family, you got two little kids. You you took what could have been a faster shot to national stardom and you said, no, I'm going to take it this route. And uh, any regrets? Any regrets? Um, I definitely do not regret where I am now with my kids and having these kids. And my wife will argue with me whenever I say, you know what? I kind of left in the prime of my career. I was kind of, you know, mixing it up with all the, you know, the big names. And, you know, people are like, whatever happened to that guy? When he's Justin McKinney, like, where is that guy? Like that came up. Uh, my buddy was on Mark Maron's podcast recently and my name came up and he goes, you know, what happened to that guy? You know? <laughs> so it is a little bit of that. I was out in LA last fall at the comedy store and this, uh, this other comedian is the same thing. He goes, he's, where are you now? What, I was wondering, I was thinking about you the other day what happened to you so there's a little as much as i think about where career wise i would be my wife brings up the point yeah but we wouldn't have our kids and you know and in thinking and when you put that on the table you would never trade the kids so so the the, the part of me do, do i kind of wish we waited five or six more years a little regret about mm-hmm. that and mm-hmm. then but if you're telling me i don't know how the universe works we would not have had the same two kids, right? Had my oh. wife gotten pregnant in L.A., they wouldn't be the kids I have now. Am I correct to say that? You're absolutely Because correct. everything happens with that time, that moment, yeah. where it was, how it was. And these kids are my world. When these you look kids back, are my, on, yeah. when you're on your, your rocking chair looking exactly. back, you're gonna you're not going to remember the L.A. in 2006 or 2006. You're going to remember these kids and how special they And are. that's what matters. Yeah. It's that This other stuff really doesn't matter at the end of the day. And I don't want to look back and be like, oh, I've got more money in my bank account, but I wasn't there at my kid's soccer thing, my the kid's spelling bee. I just, you know, I make all that stuff for my kids. And that's more important to me. Now, in a few more years, when they get older, they're teenagers, and they're like, dad, we don't really want you around. I'll start poking back into uh, Los Angeles. A- exactly. You know, Rodney Dangerfield didn't begin as a stand-up successfully until he was in his late 40s, early 50s, I think. Yeah. There's no time limit. That there's no issue with that. Um, what I wanted to focus on now is your your material, and you've already answered my question. But there's so much of you and so much honesty in the material. Uh, many comics I know talk about this sense of 
truth, and it doesn't mean you're being totally truth. You're stretching the truth. You're exaggerating. That's what comedy is. But how important is that to you? And do audiences sense that as I sensed it? That you're you're a real guy talking about real things. It's so um, it's so important to me that sometimes I think it's a it, it hurts me. It's a hang up where I'll say. Um, you know, I'll do a line and they'll be like, yeah, but that isn't how it happened. <laughs> you know, like I t- so try to stay under the truth, but it, you know, 95% of what I do is, is truthful. You know, I think my first DVD I ever released was called, I'm not making this up. And it was all, I guess that's what I was kind of, kind of trying to say in there is that this stuff is true. And this is stuff that happens. Um, and it, to me, it's just what I, it just, it's just the way. I like to do it. And I think people mm. can tell when it's true. I mean, I can't make up. I, I know pe- comedians who will go on and they'll, they'll, they don't even have kids, but they'll talk about they have kids and they don't right. even have kids. I mean, that's how, but, but you know, look, the job is just to get laughs. And if you're a laugh and you right. want to entertain, sure. however you want to do it, I'm not going to judge how you want to do it. This is just how I, I so do it. So I have to ask your opinion on the job and what's going on now with social media and people on a stage in a comedy club where folks are paying to see them and they're getting into big trouble because somebody took out a video camera and shot uh, a couple of comments by a comic and all of a sudden that comic's life is is ruined for a couple of years. I'm talking about the political correctness that's run rampant. I believe in political correctness in certain areas, but shouldn't comedy be sacrosanct? What do you think? It makes it tough, um, but I think there is a line. I think there are some things that you just can't. There are lines you. I don't think you should cross, and you can't cross. And being a white guy, you know, full, oh, yeah. full disclosure here, I don't think you can say the n word. I just don't think you can. You know, so I don't even feel comfortable saying the n word, like mm, saying it like saying, that, the n word, right. even saying it. You know, so I think that there is a little bit of a line, but I think that it's gotten. Um, it's gotten too crazy. I mean, you can offend anyone with anything now. You know, um, I made a post about, um, uh, you know, the whole equal pay for women, right? And I made a post back in the day where I said, and I hope I can remember this because this was a few years ago. And I, my joke was, I didn't realize equal pay for women wasn't happening. I go, every job I've ever had, the female workers always made the same money as me. You mean to tell me all these years I was underpaid, <laughs> right? I just thought, so right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. Someone commented, you just lost a follower for that joke. Yeah. You don't make fun of equality. Like that's how, and then all of these other women though were sticking up for me going, that's fine. That's a joke. And then, so, and I worked this into my act at the time. I was like, I was like, you know, so this woman, you know, I, she wouldn't leave my page. She said she I wasn't fun. So I, so I thought I'd mess with her. And I'm like, look, you don't understand. I am very pro-woman. I would totally vote for a female president. I don't think they should make as much as male presidents. That's it. You're a jerk. You know, I go, you're not listening to me. And I just kept going and I was just having, you know, I'm all, I got two boys. I wish they were girls. I could use the break on the allowance. That's 75 cents on a dollar. And I just was, you know, and I made it into this bit off of her complaining about that. But I just think that especially when people pay. Now, now you've got to handle corporate shows and private shows differently right. than a theater right. show. You right. know, if someone's paying to see you, obviously they expect a little bit of, you might push the envelope and talk about these things that are going on. But at corporate stuff, I couldn't do that joke, the, the, the line I just said at the corporate event, because that could offend somebody. It's, they're, not, they're not paying to see me. They're there. I'm joking about equal pay. And some people think the, that's not funny. The point I wanted to make is that it's a very small minority who usually get the most attention because of social media. I mean, and it, they have a right to speak out. They have a right to complain. But then we all have to change our ways because a few people complain. 
I can tell just by watching your special, your, your audiences are with you. I mean, you got you got them. And I would venture to say that if there was somebody complaining, like you say, 99 to 1 would support you. And that's for many comics, for many of the, the stand-ups yeah. I know. You can always offend. Somebody will always get offended about something. Yeah. And it's just, I think that everyone has to do what they're comfortable with. I'm not that worried about... I'm not going to go down a road that I think there, whether it's, you know, there's certain things that I stay away from completely, uh, child abuse, you know, sex abuse, any, uh, oh, you yeah. know, uh, uh, sexual assault, like stuff like that. I just kind of uh, stay away. And I, and, and, you know, and this is the, you talk about the process that I have gotten myself into a little bit of trouble. Um, you know, here I am doing new stuff all the time, trying to come up with new premises, throwing stuff out there. I was in Providence, um, probably a year or two ago. And I was doing a joke where I was talking about, um, there was a situation where uh, uh, women were getting assaulted, getting massages at a thing. And I, so I tried to make an attempt at saying, if I was a woman, I would want a female masseuse, right? It was where I was just trying to go because I don't trust men. I was trying to make this point in this joke and it didn't come out right. And I got a tweet from somebody saying, you're making it sound like men can't help themselves and blah, 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 and all this. So I literally said to her, I go, you're right. I go, it didn't come out right. But here I am trying to joke for the first time the premise. Sometimes it doesn't come out right, right, right. but I totally dropped the whole idea. I never did it again other than that night. I threw the idea out there. It didn't stick. It didn't work like I wanted it to. It didn't feel good coming out. Yeah. I dropped it. And so it's not, I'm not one of these guys where if someone says something, I'm going to be like, well, too bad. It's comedy. Get over it. I do hear what people say. And if they're right, if I think they're right, when I step back, I see what she was saying. And you know what? I don't want to dive into that stuff right now. That whole world of, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, a bee's nest, you know? It is. And I, I, the same thing happens in, in broadcast and radio, let's say. I don't understand the impact of something I said on a particular uh, audience or group of people until it's pointed out. We're only human. We, we, we're not censors. We can't just figure everything out. Before we talk about and promote the podcast that you're doing, New England Wood, I love the name. Uh, just a one more little segment here on the material. Uh, there's, I mean, I'm from Boston, okay? I grew up here. I know what Jimmy's are. I know what Candlepin Bowling is. I mean, all, there are so many Boston things. If you say, whoa, you're from Beantown, I want to I slug you because, you know, we never use the term. But there's so much material that is so inherently funny about New Hampshire and Maine. And I mean, right? I mean, it's 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 there. And I know it as a mass soul. Pardon yes. me for yes. saying that. Yes, so, I married one. <laughs> you you yeah. married one. So I mean, are, are you literally just picking from the 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 the, the wonderful selection on a regular basis because there's so much? I am. I mean, you know, when I do shows in this area, it's funny. I've had people. I I've I did a show uh, somewhere in New Hampshire, and the show went. You know, is it went very well. And you're feeling good about it. And literally someone came up to me after the show and they go, they were almost aggravated a little. They go, what do you do when you're not in New Hampshire? Like, well, like there was one, like, what do I, well, I don't do that material I just did for you. You know what I mean? So parentally challenged, that stuff is. Oh, that's universal. That's universal. It's a whole hour special of, I talk about winter a little bit. So you got to go winter. There's a winter joke yeah. in there. But other than that, so you got to adapt to the, um, to the audience, but I get, 
people can like to laugh at what they can relate to. And every, we're all living the same stuff. So when stuff happens here, you know, I've got a, a bit on a uh, line that went pretty viral, Clark's Trading Post. It's about this amusement park up in northern New Hampshire when I took my kids there the first time. Um, you know, it's it's just, it's, I'm always looking for stuff. And, uh, you know, I get a lot of a, a lot of mileage out of it. Yeah, one of my favorite comics, I'm sure you're a fan of Jim Gaffigan. He's of course brilliant. And yeah. I just want to relate to what you talked about, Winter. He does a bit on seasons in New England because he spent some time. And But I noted how cool it was that his take was funny as hell. Your take is funny as hell. Two different takes. Sure. The, I think the fact that there's so many uh, possibilities, yep. you can you can, you can can mention uh, the water bottle on your desk and come up with a totally different approach to make it funny. So Yeah, and what another thing, a note on that, somebody like a Jim Gaffigan or any of these comedians that are out there, I don't watch any comedy and I don't listen because you don't want any of that to seep in. You don't want to pick any of that up. I always worry about that. Like, I don't want to know what he's doing about right. the season or anything. It, 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 and, you know, so, um, yeah, if I find that if I'm not watching anything else and it's all my world, everything's coming out in my, the way my brain sees it. And I feel good about that, knowing that it's coming from me. Let's do this, Justin McKinney, before we wrap up. I'm going to go podcaster to podcaster and congratulate you on your idea. Why don't you explain what New England Wood is going to be doing? Well, the way the idea came about was everyone has always been saying to me, I keep hearing it, uh, you can't make it in Hollywood living in New England. And to that, I say you can't make it in New England living in Hollywood. There are plenty of people making it here, and I want people to hear about them. We're gonna, I'm going to interview them. We're going to hear about that and everything else that is life in New England, and, and that's you, where it came from. You couldn't be more correct. I, I could go down a list in my head of people who are living here, who are thriving, working in the creative arts, and they are internationally known. I mean, it's not just geographical lo location anymore. No, and it's not only in the arts either. It's all walks of life. So you're going to you know, delve into I other think, areas. I think I would, yeah. I think I'm thinking of doing that. Anyone that's just that's made their home here, their life here, loves it here, wants to talk about you know what it's like here, what it's been for them, yeah, all that. Did they ever want to get out of here? Were, did they spend time out of here? What was that like? What's How's it compare to here? Why is this your home? Well, the tourist board is going to love you, right? I uh, Let's hope so. <laughs> let's hope it turns into some money. <laughs> I think it should. It's a great concept. And people can certainly find out more at your website, Justin, spelled J-U-S-T-O-N. We went through that whole thing. Justin McKinney, M-C-K-I-N-N-E-Y.com. And your tour schedule's there. Yes, and it videos is. videos and all that kind of stuff. Yep. And I'm going to be doing a lot more in Massachusetts in the coming years, so. Well, great, because we're in Boston. We want to see you yes. more often. Uh, it's great to meet you, and congratulations on your success, on your family, and on the upcoming podcast. Thank you so much. I had a blast. Like, I didn't realize when they start kindergarten, before they started school, you got to go to this orientation like two months before, where they ask you questions like, so where is your child at academically? Uh, the beginning? <laughs> I supposed to be doing something these last few years? I thought I'd bring them to you. You take it from here. <laughs> you know who likes snow days? Teachers. Oh, we got some over here? Oh, yeah. I don't blame you. That teacher workshop. Who are you kidding? That's a mental health day. 
This is Jordan thanking you for listening to On Mike with Jordan Rich, available on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and, of course, Android. Appreciate you subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing this podcast if you get a chance. On Mike is produced at Chark Productions in Boston. Until next time, be well so you can do good.